The Behemoth Brewing Company presents the Department of Conversation with Pat Brittenden. Behemoth, give me something hoppy. Oh, kia ora far No, welcome back to the Department of Conversation with Pat Brittenden, brought to you by the Behemoth Brewing Company. Yes, Behemoth are now supporting us in the podcast, so what I would love for you to consider is supporting them. Go to behemothbrewing.co.nz, have a look at their range, buy their product. If you spend money with them, then they'll continue to sponsor us, which will continue to help us make content for you. It's a beautiful circle. It is the circle of life, to coin a phrase. Hey, um, good to be back with you again. Uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, interesting chat today with a gentleman named Matt Powell. Matt Powell is a, he seems to be one of those multi-talented guys that's a little bit hard to pigeonhole. He performs, he writes. Uh, from the conversation we've just had, he seems to be musical as well. He does improv, he does directing. Uh, a real a guy involved in the theatre. And I think in his in his day job, he's working as a, as a programmer and a developer as well. So the multi-talented Matt Powell, who has um, got a show called The History Boy that's about to come to the Wellington Fringe Festival and also uh, some other performances around the country. And if you listen to the podcast, you'll find out how to get a hold of him or his information to uh, check out what's happening with The History Boy and any of his other performances in your neck of the woods when they actually happen. Good to be back again. Uh, looking forward to you hearing this chat. If you are listening to us on iTunes, a rate and a review would be really appreciated. If you've never seen any of our video footage, then head to our YouTube channel. I uh, really appreciate our subscribe to our YouTube channel because uh, we find that 2.7% technically of people who watch our videos are people who are subscribed. The other 97-ish percent aren't. And the more subscribers we can get on YouTube, the more we can do with YouTube, the more benefits we get uh, to use our videos in various ways, like monetizing them and that kind of stuff as well. So check us out on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to our channel there, the Department of Conversation with Pat Britton, and you'll find it pretty easily. And other than that, sit back. Well, it depends where you are. Maybe not if you're driving. Enjoy the history boy, a.k.a. Matt Powell. And it is a very good morning to uh, Matt Powell. Matt Powell joining us in the uh, Department of Conversation today. G'day, Matt. Kia ora. How's it going? Kia ora. It's going pretty bloody well, actually. How's it going with you? Yeah, not too bad. It's a, it's a nice day uh, outside. Unfortunately, I've got nine meetings today. So uh, Nine sure meetings. Now, are, nine you, meetings. are you you're Wellington? Yeah, I'm in Wellington. They do say a good day in Wellington is uh, the best day in the world or some shit like that. I don't know. Something like that. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard something to that effect. I had lots of friends who lived in Wellington and, and they would say to me, you know, because Wellington gets the piss taken a little bit about, um, you know, being the windy capital. But they would admit to me, you know, you do notice a day that's not that there's no wind. It is a noticeable thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just recently my front door has taken to blowing open in the wind. Oh, handy. You bolt it. So uh, I don't know what's going on there, but it's, um, it's certainly refreshing. Tell me about your meetings. What what are you what are you doing to require nine? It's mid, basically it's for people who are listening to this on demand. It's basically midday as we're recording this. How the hell do you fit nine meetings in between now and the end of the day? Oh, Unless you're working oh, till I, one in the I, morning. I don't even know. So um, so I work as a software developer, and uh, a lot of those meetings are just like just quick fifteen minute catch ups. But by the time you get all the context to to get into them, and then like. I don't cool gun afterwards running from one room to the next it's um it's a little bit of a, a hard ask sometimes so are you in your house at the moment at work or are you in offices we talk about uh, running from one to the other 
and the offices. Um, we're actually in a, a really lovely old um, theatre building um, on Courtney Place. That's the Paramount Theatre, if you remember that from from Wellington. Lovely. Um, yeah, so that um, that unfortunately had to stop being a movie theatre, but we've um, kept a lot of the uh, inside bits, so you can see where the projection room was and where the seats in the auditorium used to be and where the screening rooms were and stuff like that. Dude, have you? Kept, I would have wanted to keep at least one of the screening rooms in uh, in action. So lunchtime. Lunchtime, whatever, yeah, whatever the equivalent of Oprah Winfrey is, that I don't know what's on at midday these days, but whatever the equivalent. When I was a student at lunchtime, would watch Oprah Winfrey. Like the, the building owners like took all the the screening rooms out because they had to take all the walls out, and we're like, "Can you put one back in?" Like, <laughs> this is a really nice feature to have in, in an office for like sixty people. Is a, a nice place to have a big screen on the wall. Yeah, for sure. So let's um let's introduce uh, to people who don't know you uh, who you are and what you do. Your name is Matt Powell. Um, how would you describe mm-hmm. yourself? Because I was talking about you as a comedian, but your write up talks about you more as a improviser, writer, director. How would you describe your skills set when it yeah. comes to the theatre world? I guess mostly in the theatre world, I'm an improviser. Um, it's it's kind of what I do most and what I do best. I guess um, I have a background in. Um, dance, music, musical theatre, um, acting, uh, everything like that it was kind of my jam when I was a kid. Um, and just as I've grown um, doing sketch, a little bit of stand-up, um, musical theatre, improv has kind of been the one thing that has fit me best. Um, kind of felt like home in terms of where my where my skill set is and where I like to perform. So as improv today, I, I used to work for Theatre Sports Auckland and that was really quite often focused on the, the, the games of Theatre Sports, although yeah, there was yeah. there was a fair amount of sort of improvisation theatre going on as well. Um, when you talk about improv, uh, most people, when they think about improv, they think about whose line is it anyway or something like that. Yeah, right. Are you doing improvised theatre? Are you doing kind of that sort of more, here's a game, let's perform it, here's another game, let's perform it. Where, where's your jam in that? Yeah, well, I definitely cut my teeth on the more kind of theatre sportsy, gamey aspect of it. Um, I spent 12 years in Christchurch with the Court Jesters, and right. um, their show, Scared Scriptless, is um, much more of a short-form, gamey, late-night comedy style. Um, and that's great. Like, uh, they have a really strong following. Um, they're experts at what they do. It's a really funny show, really good show every time. Um, but I started coming to Wellington for the New Zealand Improv Festival in about 2010, and I started getting a taste for other kinds of improv. Um, so uh, we do like a, a a whole hour that was an improvised Agatha Christie murder, murder mystery. Or uh, we do, um, I know friends who have done an um, improvised uh, brecht, which is bizarre. Um, or, you know, just, just stuff that explores a little bit more of the intersection between um what I traditionally thought of as improv and in more theatre, like uh, what, what you might call um, long form improv. Yeah, I remember. Um, I, me- I, I remember explaining to someone um, once we did a show at a comedy festival called Exfolios, and it was a ninety-minute improvised Shakespeare play every single right, night. Yeah. yeah, and people weren't quite you know clear on what that was because they thought, oh, you know. When's World's Worst Step going to come out, or whatever other game was the game of the day? Yeah. But and also, it's not always comedy. Um, I mean, you yeah. can tell me if yours is the same experience. And I remember we did a show with an improvised theatre 
I experienced, and for people who haven't seen it, it's not just the people on stage, it's the musicians and it's the, even the lighting people as well. We did a show yeah, um, during that season of Exfolios that was actually really dark and menacing. And so mm-hmm. the, the lighting guys got involved in the dark blues and purples and that kind of stuff. And actually, it wasn't funny at all. Like, yeah. it wasn't funny at all. <laughs> but it was all yeah. improvised, and it's probably my favorite piece of, piece of infra- improvised I mean, it's great fun having 1,500 people in a theatre screaming, laughing because you've done something. But that dark, broody, ominous, improvised Shakespearean show that we did. And then when you say Shakespearean, what we're basically meaning is people are saying doth and thou. It's not actual. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Was the the best I'd ever done. Devices and stuff as well, right? Yeah. Um, Because you're immersed in that world. And it's interesting that you talk about um, people outside of just the performers on the stage being involved because I would go even further and say that like the audience is improvising too. Sure. Because um, the whole thing about improv for me is that it's so immediate um, because it involves the audience in the creation of the work. You can, you automatically get the audience's feedback because they're live in the room. Um, and so you're able to adjust your performance to what they're responding to, what the vibe of the room is. Um, if anything happens in the room, um, like a like an alarm goes off next door or something, you can incorporate that into your performance. Uh, someone's drunk in the front row, you can incorporate that into your performance. Um, and so the audience comes with you on that journey of creating that show. And it's not just like, oh, can I have a household object or um, can I have an occupation or whatever, just asking them questions directly. Um, it's that more uh, kind of immersive involvement that an audience has just by virtue of being present. Yeah, although in saying in saying what I've just said, I, I do remember how we started. There's a I don't I don't know if this is the universal name for it, but there's a game in the more kind of theatre sports thing called a herald, and a, a, a herald for people who are unaware of it, which is probably ninety nine point nine nine percent of people listening or watching, is where you have three separate storylines that are the objective is in over the space of seven or eight or ten minutes you interweave them and all come to a similar conclusion you're, you're all join those three storylines at the end and they kind of weave past each other and that's actually we did take suggestions from the audience and that actually was a 90 minute herald so it was three yeah. storylines at the start suggestions from the audience and then that became uh not like not like an eight minute three storylines interweaving but a 90 minute three storylines interweaving yeah yeah yeah, and there's like there's companies coming out of like Chicago, and that's all they do. Like they just they just do the Herald, um, and that's that's their entire bread and butter. Like that, um, the beginning and ending of their conception of improv. Um, to be honest, I've, I've never quite got the Herald. I've never. Quite I, I was just thinking the same thing about why is it called. I'm just typing in why is it called a Herald. I got no idea. Um. I think that has to do with who created it, maybe. But yeah, I couldn't tell you. But like for me, it just feel it feels like a training exercise, and it feels like you're kind of putting a training exercise in front of an audience, unless you're doing it really, really well. Because I guess with the the format of it, you see so much of the mechanics of improv. You find anything? Yeah, I found something a little a little bit here. Uh... So it's on a Wikipedia page. Harold is a structure used long form improvisation theatre that is performed by. Harold is. I don't. Know, this is this is good uh, podcasting, isn't it? Just going. Um, yeah. Well, they talk about Harold being a training training wheels, like you're saying as well. I can't see anything there as to why it's called a Harold, but um, who knows? Who knows? 
So you've got, um, you're someone who is currently active. I'm interested that you, you say you've done, I mean, your write-up, your your profile says you've been doing it for 20 years, but you're you're quite a young man. Um, did you obviously start uh, in, in intermediate school, primary young. school? Yeah. Um, I, I, did, I did do one, I think I did one theatre sports competition in high school, um, and that was because our school theatre sports team had got through to like the semi-finals or the finals or something. Um, and one of the guys in the team couldn't make it and the reserve had broken his arm. So I was kind of the reserve reserve right. being the, the only other person at a, a very kind of sports heavy high school um, that was vaguely interested in theatre. Um, and so I kind of stepped up to the plate and, and did the best I could. Um, but really, I didn't start getting in it, into it until university. I heard someone the other day ask the question. It was obviously a cheeky and a rude question. Um, they were talking about, I can't even it was a couple of comedians. Oh, I might have been on that show. Uh, have you seen on YouTube, there's a show called Hypothetical, James Acaster in the no. UK. It's very, we very... Love it's very, very funny. It's, it's him and I can't forget the name. I forget the name of the other guy. I'll, I'll bring it up in a sec. But they set hypothetical situations up to their celebrity guests. Like, you know, you have to get on the 6 o'clock news. You two contestants have to get on the 6 o'clock news tomorrow night. It's the last story. If you don't get on the 6 o'clock news, you're going to die. How do you do it? So they, that, that's basically what they do. And they were talking about comedy. And they were saying, have you ever performed comedy before? And someone asked, is improvised uh, theatre considered comedy? And James Acaster very quickly said, no. No, that can't be classified as comedy. How do you? Th- <laughs> how do you? Which I disagree with. But how do you? How do you yeah. find people receive people in in the world of theatre receive improvised theatre? You know, at where it is on the echelon, sort of thing. Well, it's tricky because um, you're right. You have a lot of comedians say, "Oh no, improv isn't improv isn't comedy," and like it, it does definitely feel like we're very separate from, say, the stand up scene here in Wellington. Um, Although there have been a few like crossover shows. Um, uh, I remember did a, a show with um, Greg Ellis, who you might know if you've been around New Zealand improv for any length of time, um, uh, called Comedian Deconstruction, um, where there would be a, um, there'd be a, a set of stand-ups doing, doing stand-up material and then we'd do some improv based on that. Um, oh, we did uh, yeah, a, a similar one with um, Cards Against Humanity cards and comedians answering the cards. Um, but but when it comes to like so so yeah we feel like we're a little bit outcast from the, the comedy community but then you get people in the in the theatre community saying things like oh we'd love to see what happens when you mix improv and theatre and it's like hold on um, that's like saying we'd love to see what happens when you mix milk with drinks or you know yeah because um, improv is theatre yeah yeah I, I feel like improv is at home in theatre yeah and because it's not it's not traditionally like scripted or blocked or um, any of those things. You can't have a like traditional theatrical production period where like you sort out all the costumes and all of the set and all of the lighting states and everything like that for a, for a completely improvised production. There are times when you can do other things like that, but because it's, it's produced so differently to other theater, to scripted theater, um, a lot of, traditional theatre practitioners don't know where to start with it. They kind of right. don't have an anchor in it. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'd really love to do some more exploration about where improv touches on other forms of theatre. Um, we had a show in the Improv Festival here in Wellington last year called Dance, Dance, Have Feelings, 
which was an entirely improvised dance show. Um, and it was one of the greatest pieces of improv I've ever seen. It was just entirely dance. There was no script, no, um, I think they said they had three choreographed moments that they had um, like at various points during the piece. And that, would, that would, was their, their sole anchor. Like all the music, the director was sitting up the back with a, with a laptop going, oh, next we'll have this track, next we'll have this track. Um, and just responding to how the piece went and again, responding to the mood of the audience and stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about where improv lives. And sometimes I think it's its own thing. And sometimes I think, no, it's it's a part of theatre or it's a part of performing arts or visual arts. Especially also when you now hear, like I'm thinking about people like Seth Rogen, like in the movie, you know, yeah. A-lister movie, making his own movies, production house. And, and you hear about people um, and you know, Judd Apatow and these kinds of people who kind of improvise whole movies. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you hear about, you hear about other actors, like let's say a traditionally trained actor on a couch with someone who loves to improvise, and often the traditionally trained actor or the someone who is more used to scripted work will go on. Oh, I never improvise. The words are on the thing for a reason, and I respect that because you know the there've been a long time that those words have been written for that reason, for that you know genre, for that moment. Um, but it seems in that world, imp- improvising seemed to be something that's quite valued and quite respected. Yeah, and I think um, I think there's a real kind of art to getting the best out of improv in that situation. Because um, my, I, I guess my personal perspective on improv is that it's always best when it's live and it's in a room, right? Um, because the the things that happen and the things that you say and do come out of those particular circumstances. You wouldn't get those same results if you had a different audience or a different set of actors, or it was a different day, the weather was different, they had something different for breakfast. It's, it's like a unique serendipity of like the circumstances that it's in. So to get that to translate well to a fixed recorded medium like film is a really difficult thing. Um, and you can watch movies like Anchorman and see hundreds of outtakes on the end of lines that they've improvised and <laughs> yeah. they've used two in the film and they've got dozens and dozens and maybe a dozen made the, the outtakes clip and you know that for those, for that dozen, there are hundreds more that are um, that were just too bad to even make the, the end credits scene. I wonder and if... I, I wonder like if... Line is it anyway, like that's very heavily edited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's, there's, like you might have a dozen scenes on the show and three dozen on the cutting room floor. Yeah, well, I mean, I remember going to a filming of Seven Days and the filming was two and a half hours. And yeah. some of the stuff that was the funniest didn't make the show because it was that far inappropriate sort of thing. So, yeah. Um, I also wonder if technology is finally caught up with allowing that to happen because in the old days, the old days, there's no way a film like um, Anchorman would have been able to waste that much film because it costs yeah, a lot of sure. money to waste that much film. But when you're filming in digital now, yeah, just delete it if you don't want it at the end of the day. Exactly. Um, but then the, the interesting thing to me about that is that like you, you can you can have a set of actors and comedians and directors and whatever who will quite happily put improvised content into their films because it suits them to have someone who can just come up with something funny off the cuff um, that will be there in the moment and have a genuine reaction that you couldn't get from a scripted piece. But then they'll go and do an episode of a TV series where one of the characters joins an improv troupe and it's so terrible and yeah. everyone hates being invited along to see the improv show. 
And it just feels really disingenuous to me because those people know the value of improv and yet they're on TV slagging it because that's kind of the, the, the meme. That's uh, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, it's almost like it's not self-loathing because they're not making it about themselves. But it's like, yeah. it's like when you know that a particular uh, a particular car is a very good driving car, but because it doesn't mm. have the same sort of um, you know vibe of a BMW or a Porsche, you'd never admit to owning one, even if you drove one and you really enjoyed it. It's like that sort of. It's almost like I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed that I know this is so good because so many other people don't think it's good. So I'm just going to stick with yeah. it. It's being a sheep rather than being a leader, perhaps. Yeah, and I, I guess there's also an aspect of, like, those people can laugh at that situation because they've been in it. But for the majority of people, they just get this meme that improv is terrible and you should never go with someone who says, hey, I've got a show on. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Like if someone asks you to go to their improv show, just just t- say no and walk away. So... Um, so um, have a look at this, just because I um, oh, I said that I'd show people what it was. This is the show called Hypothetical. Let me bring up my little thing here. So it's James Acaster, and I forget his name. Um, he's on lots of stuff at the moment. Oh. He's on the last leg as well. Um, yeah. And this is the hypothetical. Uh, Nish Kumar, who's also very funny, <clears throat> yeah. has been told he has to go on to Love Island. It's time for so another I'll just give you a... What Would You Do? And David Acaster will be very pleased because this one is for Nish. <laughs> Love Island. <laughs> Love Island are planning on mixing it up next series and have decided to recruit one unconventional beauty. <laughs> AKA you. <laughs> to add to their typical lineup. To be let off the island, you must win the show. So there you go. And then they then they go through a um then they go through the hypothetical of how would you do it. So it's very funny. So uh, it's not. Yeah. I, I, I have. Ne- I've never seen a full episode. Um, but obviously, as are the tricky old, uh, tricky. How's your father? Um, algorithms and YouTube. Now that I watched one episode, I get delivered dozens of the clips. Yeah. So, but it's yeah. very good. It's very good. It's very funny as well. Hypothetical. If people and want Blake to check it out. wrote uh, one of my favorite books that I read last year. Uh, it's called Perfect Sound Whatever. Oh yeah. Um, and it's about how he discovered that 2016 is the greatest year of all time for music. Oh, tell, um, me, tell me about that. So uh, 2017, he was uh, going through a breakup, um, going through a depression, um, and uh, feeling like he needed something in his life. And he just started buying and listening to albums from 2016. Um, and the more he dug into it and listened to um, more and more obscure albums from 2016, the more he was kind of confirmed in that hypothesis and the more he went, oh, this is a good album and then looked at the release date and sure enough, it was 2016. Um, and, and like the, the whole book is kind of, um, uh, it switches between reviews of albums that he listened to and why he thinks they're fantastic and like how those albums played into his personal circumstances at the time. Um, it's a really good read. Uh, and worth a listen if you can um, get the audiobook as well. So what's the um, what's the title again? Perfect Sound Whatever. Perfect Sound. Let's uh, let's let's bring it up. A eh? perfect sound whatever. So if people want to have a look, it is. You can bring it up on my thing, James Acaster. There it is. There. Perfect Sound Whatever. Let's get rid of that. The hilarious and heartwarming new memoir from James Acaster, cult comedian, best-selling author, undercover cop, a receiver of cabbages. Oh gosh, that's a funny story about the cabbages. Um, oh, so 
so yeah so there you go perfect love it it's 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 completely uh, i'm just trying to find uh the series it's completely um the, I, I wanted to kind of offer a, a similarity for a perfect year um and i was going to mention top gear <laughs> because oh, yeah? they had a they had a perfect year as well and i discovered it the other day and i'm sorry that i'm looking away from the screen because i'm trying to find what it is no um but they did like six episodes i think it was it's in 2007 and of those six episodes like four of them were classics like the the polar special and the and, uh, and there was like three other ones oh the one where they went through america and they got chased by rednecks and there's like four episodes out of six that are in this one series that are like the perfect year of top gear television but i just noticed that the other day i don't i, I don't season without punching a producer yeah without punching a producer yeah exactly exactly right um let's talk about producing because let's talk about <laughs> your show the history boy which people who are watching can yeah. see on their screen right now we go to the actual official website um so tell us about the history boy tell us about what you're doing uh the plus one in melbourne says matt powell brings forth intricate details and quick-witted responses that reward an intelligent audience's attention oh gosh an intelligent audiences uh, that, that might not go down <laughs> well in some areas but tell, tell, um, me, tell so, me about the history boy so the history boy is a solo show um and it's based around um kind of the idea that I carry around a lot of weird facts in my head and so does everybody, I think. Um, uh, this, is, this is kind of a, a spoiler for the start of the show. It's not a spoiler for the end because it's improvised. Um, but when I was about seven years old, my family um, took me on a camping holiday mm -hmm. and I was um, always, like at that time, I was always had my nose in a book, um, just constant bookworm. And my mother was like, oh, we need to get this kid out in the sunshine, you know. Um, so she said that I could take one book, um, and the book that I brought with me uh, was the Usborne Book of World History. Um, it's uh, about 180 pages long, um, and it's just these glorious full-color spreads of um, of history, like every single period of history that you could imagine. And I just spent the entire holiday just wandering around reading that book and, and reciting the facts to my family. Um, so I guess that kind of backfired on my mother but it kind of left me with this um kind of retention of weird facts that i pick up all over the place and so the show is about how everybody kind of carries around versions of history in their heads that might not necessarily be true um, but they feel true because they're kind of what resonates with us um so like for example in in one show um we talked about the Titanic because one of the audience members that I talked to, um, the Titanic sank on the same day as her birthday. So she's wow. always felt like connected to that. Yeah. And so we, we talked about how that kind of connected for her. And so the, the show is kind of part conversation with the audience about those facts that, that they carry around and the versions of history and the stories and stuff. And part me trying to recreate those stories just from the information that they give me or that I know um and come up with a version of history that's unique to that room on that night um in a way that feels true because we're there and we've all kind of heard the same things but might not be historically accurate it's um i i know exactly the book you mean and for people who don't know <laughs> that one yes here, it's exactly like here they that, are um, that with the big red writing on the front yeah yeah because so i good. i remember it was when i was a kid um yep. it was 
in the bathroom because yeah. it was perfect for having in the bathroom um, because you have all sorts of facts and figures, and as you say in there as well. I think if we click on that, we'll probably get a full oh, it's a YouTube clip, but shows inside mm. the area. But what I actually didn't realize this, but obviously it um, it's gone on and on and on. There you go. That looks very familiar yeah. to me, although that's a more modern one than I had yeah, in the nineteen eighties. Different layout. The one that I've got in the back, I mean, it hasn't dated very well because in the back it has a timeline of all the events in the book. And the very last thing on the timeline is 1840, um, Great Britain takes possession of New Zealand. <laughs> There's a little bit of history to be filled out then after that, isn't there? Just a tad. Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, the book's not quite that old, but that certainly seemed to be the last thing of note. Isn't it funny when you find that kind of stuff, or you find an error? I remember as a kid playing Trivial Pursuit and being quite chuffed with myself as a young, I don't know, 10 or 11-year-old when uh, Trivial Pursuit, the, probably the Australian, which they called Australasian version, dictated yeah. out loud that the body of water between the North and South Island was called the Fovo Strait of New Zealand. And I was quite chuffed okay. as a 9 or 10-year-old to kind of go, um, I don't, I don't think that's right. I think it's the Cook Strait, isn't it? So... I mean, for me, that one's always been completely unplayable because about 20% of the questions are just obscure Australian sporting facts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this um, this weird uh, ability you have to hold little bits of knowledge in your head, um, does that make you an amazing kind of uh, pub quiz teammate? Must do. Uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy a good pub quiz, actually. Um, I have a, a pub quiz team in Wellington called Lads, Lads, Lads. And we, we haven't been for a while, but we um, we do go to a few of the pub quizzes around town. Um, I think my my special areas generally are the, the science the science round and anything to do with 90s video games. I didn't play a lot of video games in the 90s, but I can tell you from a screenshot like what I'm looking at. Really? Yeah. So that's like a, you have a, a knowledge of a marketing knowledge almost of what something is without playing them. Yeah, very very susceptible to marketing. <laughs> so get, what's can, your what's your pub quiz specialty? Oh, I'm I'm pretty good across most things actually. Sports pretty good. Pretty good general knowledge. You know, I'm not You're person on the on the pub quiz team. I'm I'm the person who goes, you know what, we really need someone on maybe nat our weakness might be natural sciences or that that sort of thing. Like I, 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 but then again, it's one of those things. If you know something, you know something. I did a pub quiz in Dunedin not too long ago, and like it was the first three frames of a of a intro of a movie, and they're like, "What is that?" Because they're going to show some of the intro, and I'm like, the first three or what well, three or four frames, let's say three or four seconds, I'm like, "Oh, it's Philadelphia," and then they yeah. played it so much longer that it ended up that the whole room got it. But it was yeah. like, so uh, I don't think I've got um, a speciality. Um, but I think I have a good general knowledge about numerous things. I, I used to work in music radio. And when you work in music yeah. radio, you kind of got to have oh, the fact of the day or the, the this happened on this day and here's a history of yeah. a lesson from there. So I think that's probably where I started. But it's useless information. It doesn't serve any purpose. I guess that's what you're saying about some of your stuff. It's not like I'm going to you know, save someone's life because I know that Neil Armstrong didn't actually mean to say one step for man, one step for mankind as he got down. It's not going to do anything yeah. other than come up in a pub quiz. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think like what it... What it does do in the in the show is it gives us kind of an in to tell stories um, and kind of relate to those stories in a in a human way. Like if you know that some aspect of this is actually true, um, then 
you can kind of form a connection between all of the different stories and and go away feeling like maybe the the let's say 50 people in this room fingers crossed um were actually part of something um that they weren't part of when they when they came in and that's kind of what i really love to do with my shows is, is kind of connect an audience together did you do you find that when you hear a fact or a piece of information you go oh i'm going to store that away for something like I was watching a YouTube clip the other day. I just found it. I'll, I won't go looking for it, but I think it's made by PBS in America. And there's some really interesting little, like, why is the week seven days? You know, what is, yeah. you know, those sorts of things explaining stuff. And in that, actually, in that clip, why is the week seven days? They talked about. Why uh, is the week seven days? It's based around seven gods, primarily. Right. And the seven planets were seven gods, including the moon and the sun. And then that was where it sort of started. And then because it worked, the whole world just took it on board. Really? That's kind of the, right. the nutshell of it. And even places that don't use the same gods or the same names, like it was yeah. it was um, Saturn Day, uh, yeah. Sunday, obviously. Moon Day was okay. Monday. And then the next, the next few weren't quite as relatable. But when they got translated, I think, into Latin, they became more recognizable as what we think of as Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Now... Um, but in that it talked about why isn't it 12 because we use 12 a lot it's so easy to be divided divisible by I guess 1, 12, 2, 6, 3, 4 and then they talked about you know dividing the, the sky into 12 and they went because there's 12 celestial you know there's like 12 zodiac signs and I'm like oh, okay I'm going to store that one that's that's a good one for a pub quiz because if you had said to me yesterday how many zodiac signs are there I would have been like no nah. But so straight away, I've stored that in my brain. We're actually 13 zodiac signs now. Oh, um, because, oh. yeah. So, so because there's um, uh, something called astronomical precession, uh, where the relative positions of the constellations in the sky change from year to year, um, and scientists a few years back, um, I can't remember exactly when it was about 2013, 2014. Um, uh, figured out that you could correct for that by introducing a 13th zodiac sign called Ophiuchus, um, which is like a, a snake, I think, or some kind of serpent. Um, and of course, it got no uptake whatsoever because people have you know, based their entire lives around the fact that they're a Virgo or a Leo or a Scorpio. And um, no one wants to suddenly find out, oh no, you're an Ophiuchus. Um, because it, it doesn't have any meaning. So even though it's scientifically more accurate, um, no one actually bothers to, to incorporate it. I remember that. I, I, I mean, I don't remember it as well as you do, obviously, because I remember also, you know, the stars move ever so slightly because of the millions of miles in our sky. So at the same time was probably when they were talking about, you know, if you think you're a Taurus, you may not be a Taurus because that's based on the dates of, you know, a thousand, yeah, 1,500 yeah. years ago. And actually... You know the zodiac sign Taurus now is over a different part of the Earth. I'll show. You, this is the the actual uh, channel is called. It's okay to be smart. That's what it's called. And um, if I uh, go to a two shot, then I bring up the computer. You can see this is them talking about like the how things are divisible uh, so easily into into twelve, like into six, and then into twelve, and then um, as they show it going into the planet. That's and that's what I would remember. So that actually means. That this is now out of date, which is tenth of November, twenty twenty, which is yeah. interesting. Well, I, like, even in um, the start of the luminaries, which I just started and 
have up on again recently. Gonna, okay, um, you just started what to get it finished by 2024. Is that the plan? Yeah. Ali um, uh, Catton talks about um, the like procession and and how that affects the characters in in the book and how it doesn't match up with modern day things. Um, so yeah, it's it's known. It's just ignored. Which, which which goes to show, no offence intended, well, maybe there is a little bit of offence intended, what a load of shit astronomy is. Astro- astrology is. Yeah. You don't want to get those two wrong, do you? That's a bit embarrassing. Astrology is 12 kinds of people in the world under 12 star signs that have moved over the past couple of thousand years. So I, I guess, like, one question that I ask at the top of the show is, like, do you have any historical facts that you're always carrying around with you just waiting for the right opportunity yeah 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 yeah. what 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 do you you have rattling around oh gosh um, well probably because i've just said it um doesn't mean that it's the one that always pops up but you know that neil armstrong made a mistake when he was getting off he'd prepared a speech and it was not the what he said when he said one small step for man he, he should have said one small step for a man um, yeah. Well, that's what he'd planned to say, so he got it wrong. But it still kind of works. Gosh, I don't and know. And you think Stanley Kubrick could have just cut the film and, and <laughs> another take? What facts do I have rolling around in my head? It's more that I, I what I find is I'm dyslexic, and sometimes I have yeah. difficulty accessing the things in my brain. It's one of the things I I, I have. Um, but I probably find it easy when I'm in conversation to pull stuff out rather than. At a at a whim, I like, you know, I I, I like, yeah, I don't know. Oh, okay, here, here's one that I often use. Here you, go, here you go. I've thought of one. I did in a few minutes. So you know the Honeheke flagpole story. Yeah. And often I don't know if you were the same. You're obviously a bit younger than me. Um, but when I was at school, you were the kind of the story that was told about how this rebel Honeheke cut down the flagpole, and you know caused a bit of trouble up north and yada yada yada. What, yeah. what they don't tell is the true story. And the true story is Honeheke and local Europeans, Pākehā, had an agreement. They had an agreement mm-hmm. as to what they were going to do and what flag they were going to fly. Um, so what Honeheke did was he went to his forest and he cut down a, a tree, which yeah. he fashioned a flagpole out of, and he yeah. raised it on his land and then when the settlers went against what they said they were going to do for the flag they were going to fly, he cut down his flagpole. Um, it's a different context to the story when you know yeah. what actually it was. It was actually more based in a, because you broke the agreement, you're not going to use my flagpole, as opposed to, oh, this uh, this difficult brownie, gosh, you know, he cut the flagpole down and didn't let us do what we were going to do. Yeah. So there you go. Oh, that's, 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 one, that's one that pops up every now and again in my brain. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to go away and read a little bit more about that. It actually, that's actually how, how the whole thing started with the history boy was um, having this kind of, I had a conversation with um, my good friend, Yutha Dean, who's a playwright in Auckland. Um, and we were having a conversation about how um, uh, history like comes from someone who, who tells a story in a particular way for a particular political reason. And so to understand any history you're told, whether it's something you read on Wikipedia or whether you see something on the news or whatever, yeah, it's you the, have to know who's telling the story. Yeah, it's, and the, what it's, it's, it's the idea. It's, it's the story. idea that the winners tell the, the the winners write the stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, actually, uh, Yutha came up with the name the History Boy, so I should shout him out there. 
Yeah, and now now that I'm thinking about it, I've got all these because this is what we've just done. We just got into a conversation, and I talked about that example. It's interesting because you you often double. I don't know if you do this. You probably don't because you're more well researched. That's a piece of information that I've been given by a very well respected um, Maori elder. So I trust that. Yeah. But even though I've said it like that and I've said it confidently, back in the head, I'm kind of going, I "Hope that's right," because <laughs> yeah. because I because I have I have been taught that, but I haven't researched that myself. But because I'm now thinking about that particular, and I'll say fact, I'm now thinking about all the other things that that have been taught, like, um, you know, how how Maori were kept out of the ports, um, but they were only allowed to come within a few hundred meters of the ports. But Pakeha didn't know how to catch the local fish, so Maori were coming up and actually selling the fish to Pakeha on their boats 100 meters offshore. Then Pakeha were bringing them to the wharfs and on selling them, and all these things that were going on at the at the time in the era that was a uh, that was um, uh, not particularly fair, but I guess because I'm now in that zone of Honeheke and that I've got a bunch of that kind of stuff going around in my head. Whereas yeah. if we had talked about cricket, maybe something else would have popped up and be going around in my head now. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, like, when you say, I don't know if that's true or whatever, we can never really know the whole story. Like, yeah. even even when you, you say Honeheke did this because this, we don't know what the because was. We don't know what was going on in his mind. We can kind of extrapolate that and infer stuff from his actions in the context, but we don't we don't know why he made a particular decision. He might have just been in a bad mood. Unless that was something that was told, you know. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then... Um, yeah, look, I've just put up Honeheke in, in Google, and the first thing that comes up is Honeheke became a leading opponent of British rule in 1844. He led a revolt against the British, chopping down their flagpole. That's not the yeah. story as I as I understand yeah. it, or, or whatever. And that's, and that's on honeheke.co.nz. <laughs> 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 so, I don't know. Grain of salt, I guess, is always required unless, unless it's firsthand. And now, this is what's happening in America at the moment, as I heard someone say, Healthy scepticism is really valuable too. Absolute scepticism, scepticism, <laughs> is um, is a very um, unnatural and dangerous way to live. Yeah. So, people having a healthy scepticism of what's happening, let's say uh, with the rollout of the vaccine, like they may be skeptical of how. Um, how the government's going to get it out there, like it's a government agency, are they going to fall over themselves? But to then also be sceptical of the vaccine and everything about it, you go into that area of being, you know, potentially dangerous to yourself. And and so I think unless you have first-hand, first-hand information, or I think sometimes second-hand, so I talk to flat earthers quite often because I like to get a, a giggle, and many of them don't believe that it's sunlight for 24 hours in Antarctica. They have to believe that or else their story falls apart. Uh, now, I've never been to Antarctica, but I know people who have, who have seen yeah. the sun for 24 hours. Good enough for me. Happy to accept yeah. that. First, So that secondhand evidence, other than all the kind of scientific evidence, but secondhand observable evidence, good enough for me. Well, that's the thing about scepticism, right? The skeptics were a group of Greek philosophers who believed that um, nothing was true unless you could prove it with your own senses. Um, but scepticism today, like you talk, think about people who are skeptics on Wikipedia, on, Wikipedia or like YouTube or whatever, um, their brand of skepticism is I don't trust this information because of where it comes from. Mm. Um, they're not doing the work of proving anything or or finding out any kind of scientific pedigree of information. They're just distrustful. They're not but, really skeptical. Yeah, but sometimes, but sometimes that's wise. I mean, you know, if it's the um, uh, 
tobacco industry telling me about how healthy or how, how safe cigarettes are. I mean, like there is signs around that, but I'm pretty much not going to believe that because of who is delivering the message. You know what oh, I mean? Absolutely. So so sometimes that works. But again, healthy skepticism versus absolute skepticism. Absolute skepticism leaves you in a very dangerous place. People who don't believe anything. Um, I, I had a professor on, his name's Stephen Lewandowski. It's a really good podcast for watching. And he studied, um, he did research on climate climate deniers. Um, and he, I don't know whether it's his wording, but he came to the conclusion of this thing called motivated cognition. And motivated cognition basically means you decide the uh, the outcome you want, i.e. the earth is flat, i.e. nature causes the climate to change, no one's going to, no one adds or takes away from it, and then you're motivated to get to that end. So yeah. you change the steps in the middle. So absolute skepticism. I was talking to a guy on Facebook the other day. I was having a bit of a laugh. He was talking about, um, you know, how Joe Biden's got a, a clone. And there's a video, a photo going around at the moment where he's signing one document with the left hand and one with the right hand. And then someone straight away puts up the picture that's the that's been reversed and shows this person that it's just been reversed. So he's been showing the evidence to make his original statement be wrong, but rather than admitting he's wrong, he finds another path to get there. So that's motivated. Yeah, yeah, motivated cognition is what Stephen Lewandowski called it. And it's about also not believing science, not trusting in science is a big part of it as well. Yeah. It's fascinating. I've had a couple of flat earthers on this podcast because I find them so interesting. But um, I, I mean, the flat earth one's not dangerous. Although what I realized quite quickly, well, not quite quickly, actually, after a while, as I was in the Flat Earth group, uh, New Zealand Flat Earth group, and after the Christchurch massacre, some of the people in there were starting to call it a false flag event. In other words, they were claiming that it was the government doing it and it wasn't real. And so whilst I find things like the moon landing and the Flat Earth to be fairly harmless, to coin a phrase which I don't agree with when it comes to you know drugs, but it's like a gateway it's like a, yeah. ga- a gateway philosophy that leads on to, I'm not taking a vaccine, it's going to kill me. Oops, I've got polio. Yeah. <sighs> How do we get here? I don't know. This is what we do. We just head off places. We were talking yeah. about your interesting facts in your head. That's how we got here. I'm not sure how the path was. It'd be interesting to go back and track the path to get to this place. So your show, The History Boy, right? Um, yep. You are, well, not currently, but you're about to be in uh, the... Wellington Fringe Festival. Are you? Is that in March? Is it? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So this is actually the sixth time I've tried to put on this show. The first one happened in March last year, and I got through two nights of the show, and then we had to sh- shut the theatre down. Oh no! Um, and since then, I've uh, tried to mount it a few more times, and COVID's always got in the way. So sixth time lucky, please. Sixth time lucky. COVID's always got in the way because after that first five weeks. Yeah. So yep. what, were you trying to do it in Auckland or something during another lockdown? So, uh, so I had I had shows lined up in well in Auckland and Nelson um, for the Auckland Improv Festival and the Nelson Fringe Festival. Both of those got cancelled. Right. Um, Nelson Fringe Festival got rescheduled um, and then re-cancelled when we went back into level three. Um, and there was one more season in Wellington that I had lined up um, that also got cancelled because of level three. Well, I can't think of the saying, but there's that saying about all good things to those who wait or something. Yeah. So, you know, if people people well, have hopefully. had people have had to wait, they're obviously waiting for a, you know, 
I'm all sorts yeah. of sayings like what's that other one? It takes a it takes pressure to make a diamond. It's, oh, whatever. I don't know. Fuck. I don't know. Um, so you're on the Wellington. Uh, what if people aren't in Wellington for the Wellington Fringe? Are you going to be doing any other tours of it? Are you going to be another? Like uh, I've just seen the list come out for the Dunedin Fringe. Any other fringes you're going to be in? Hopefully, taking it to uh, Auckland for the Auckland Improv Festival and uh, Nelson Fringe Festival this year. Uh, fingers crossed. Um, Having, having dinner with the director of the Nelson Fringe Festival this weekend. so Who's paying? <laughs> uh, me. Well, that means you'll probably get in then, isn't it? Isn't that how it works? If you pay pay for a good meal, you'll you'll be accepted? Laura, if you're listening, um, disregard that. <laughs> I think actually, though, to be honest, because the international acts for this year are pretty much out. That's right. I mean, yeah, you must be able really- to open doors, surely. It's really good local pickings this year in the fringe. I, I don't think that it's meant that um, the quality has dropped, but what I think it's meant is that you're going to see um, quality local acts on stage at a time that would normally be taken up by an international act. Um, no disrespect to, to international acts, but we have more than enough local talent to fill those prime spots, and I think Fringe Festival this year is going to really showcase that in a, in a really nice way. We had the same with the, the New Zealand Improv Festival here last year. We normally have a bunch of people over from Australia um, and uh, and we didn't last year and the program was still absolutely top notch. Yeah, and I think we see that reflected in various laws in New Zealand as well, like for someone to come from overseas and have to take a part in uh, in, a, in a play or an advertisement or something that's based for a New, in New Zealand, there has to be a significant reason why they are better than any New Zealand performer. Like legally, they have to be able to prove that. So I, sh- I guess that shows to show, A, there'll be more opportunity with them not here, but as you say, B, the quality will still be there. Yeah. So the, uh, the Wellington Fringe is just fringe.co.nz and we can see up here uh, the History Boys on March 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. And, um, and then if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, is the History Boy website the best place to go? Yeah, the historyboy.nz is a good place to start. Um, we've also got another couple of shows in the Fringe, if I can just plug those. Sure. Uh, we've got one called uh, Cupid's Guide to Modern Romance, uh, which is a uh, queer romantic comedy about how to fall in love in 2021. Um, How do you fall in love in 2021? I guess you'll have to uh, come and see the show. (laughs) Um, But we we start with the idea of two strangers and then uh, see if we can make them come over, overcome their own internal hangups and foibles to successfully form a relationship. So improvised Um, as well? All improvised, yep. Uh, and then the other show that we've got on is uh, on the 14th of March. It's called The Hittai Times, and it's a 10-hour-long improvised soap opera. Wow. 10 hours long? Yeah. 10 hours in a row. Uh, so we do 10 50-minute episodes, and audiences can kind of come and go as they please. Are you going to film it? We, uh, we're not going to film it, um, just to- because... Just totally film it. Uh, it, it just doesn't come across the same way recorded, I think. Look, I, I get it, but you know what I always think? This is what I think. Now, take take this from an old man who doesn't know okay. shit about what you know. But if you've got it and yeah. you don't need it, no harm, no foul. If it exactly. if it translates well and you don't have it, you know, I'm always a believer yeah. of, of, of keeping it, recording it. I'm one of those guys that... If you're going away for the weekend, you don't think you'll want your guitar, I'd rather have it with me in the back of the car and not need it than not have it and go, oh, man, this is the perfect porch to be sitting on playing the guitar right now, and I didn't bring it with me. 
cool. Well, if anyone's out there and they want to uh, sponsor 12 hours or 10 hours of a videographer and equipment hire um, for the for the filming our soap opera, um, get in touch. So the website again is uh, just thehistoryboy.nz. Uh, and there it is there for people who want to see it. Lovely, lovely pink photo of yourself up there with a history boy up there as well. And other than that, if you if you get to the Dunedin Fringe, you should certainly be in touch because we'd we'd love to have you in studio Absolutely. and talk some more about happy, exciting things like, you know, how people are fucked in the head and won't believe true science. It's a great, great, lovely topic to talk about. <laughs> what is your star sign? Um, well, I think I'm a Gemini. But then again, oh, yeah. it depends. Oh, you're about that. It depends. Well, I, but it depends where the where the dates have moved to. I don't actually know. I haven't yeah. had a look. You know, right. to be honest, from a very young age, I thought, "Are you trying to tell me there's only twelve kinds of people in the world?" Yeah, that doesn't really sound plausible to me. So I've never taken. So, so yes, I'm a Gemini, unless okay. the dates have changed me to another one. Fair enough. That's right. What about you? I'm a Leo myself. Oh, I totally thought you'd be a Leo. You're just like a Leo. Yeah, I'm doing a solo improv show. I'm a Leo. <laughs> Matt Power, hey, thanks for joining us, dude. It's been fun, and I um, hope we, we, you, we can talk again sometime soon. Yeah, lovely. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, team, that's us done and dusted. Big thank you to Behemoth Brewing Company who are presenting the Department of Conversation now. Uh, thank guys for coming on board and helping us make this product. If you like what you hear, if you enjoy what you're doing, then make sure you support the Behemoth Brewing Company. Go and check them out and buy some of their wares. It would be a lovely thing to do because you supporting them helps them support us, helps us make product for you. It's very nice. Hey, um, that was the History Boy, a.k.a. Matt Powell. Probably I should say Matt Powell, a.k.a. the History Boy. Historyboy.nz if you want to find out more about him. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, a lot of people coming up over the next few weeks. The best thing to do is head to our Facebook page, uh, DOCNZ on Facebook, because there are a lot of events going on. It feels like because a lot of the festivals and stuff were cancelled last year because of COVID, people are really chomping at the bits to get around and do stuff. So I know that here in Dunedin, there's a, there's 20 people coming through that I want to talk to with the Fringe Festival. Obviously, I won't talk to all of them, but there's a lot of interesting, good people coming through. Uh, to find out when they're going to be on, the best thing to do is follow us on Facebook. We put up events and items there as to who's going to be on when, and you can either watch us live streamed or you can listen to us or watch us on demand after we finish the, the podcast as well. So, uh, yeah, just join us here. And if you want to find anything else about me or you want to follow me, I'm basically at Pat Brittenden on all the socials. I'm that on um, Instagram and on Twitter as well. On TikTok, I'm at Pat Brittenden 22 But all you'll find in there is cute videos of the puppy. But you can go have a look if you want to have a look while you're there as well. So at Pat Brittenden on most uh, socials as well. All right, team, thanks again for joining us today. Be safe, wash your hands, hug a loved one, watch something on the telly that makes you laugh. We will continue to make sweet, sweet love in your ear holes. As we've been doing since 2018, this is the Department of Conversation brought to you by the Behemoth Brewing Company. Until we see you next time. Hooroo. Hey,